Welcome, Impactful Parents. It's time for the Impactful Parenting Podcast, where I give you parenting tips and resources to make you a more impactful parent to your school-age child. I am your host, Christina Campos. Welcome, Impactful Parents. Today, we're going to talk about overcoming childhood trauma to leave a legacy for your kids that is unforgettable. Hello, my name is Christina Campos. I'm founder of The Impactful Parent, and welcome to my Inspire and Learn series, where real parents come on and tell their story of inspiration and learning. Because a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from other people's mistakes. And today we're going to learn from Jody Schilling. And Jody is the host of the Good Mom Coach podcast. She's a mom of four. She's a certified life coach. She has 20-year in 20 years in education and is a behavioral specialist. Now, Jody is a speaker on family crisis management and post-traumatic growth and is here to teach us how families can overcome trauma and still thrive. So thank you for being here today, Jody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Let's start with your story. How did this all begin? Well, I started my family just, we always say that when we had our first baby, it, it kind of started us on a path of crisis. We had, we had no, um, you know, expectations other than we were expecting our first child. And we thought that everything according to our initial appointments was going fine, but we found out at our ultrasound, um, really early on that there were pretty significant problems in our baby's development. And this wasn't something that we were expecting, like I said, at all. And for anybody who has gone through infant loss, you know that you always think that if you can get past those first three months, then you are in the clear. And in our case, that wasn't the case and that didn't happen. And so um, we had that, that experience that you go to the ultrasound and they say just a moment, we're going to have to go get the doctor. And so that, that just, you know, put my husband and I on this, you know, this place of immediate crisis and fear and all the emotions that come up. And I, you know, at that time, I, um, I really had to rely on my faith I had to like pull up everything possible to, to get through it. And it's kind of like when you, if you've ever been through something that just, you know, is shocking to you, it literally shocks your system. And so that, that was our introduction to our family life, you know, just with our first baby having that happen. And it ended up though, that I, we were together as a couple able to, really rely, like I said, on our faith. And we were able to kind of find so much love that came out of that really, really challenging and painful time. We had just these, these amazing experiences with the nurse and the doctor and the people who came when we went ahead and um, we knew that our baby was not going to survive. So we had to go through the process of, of, of um, deciding when she was going to be born, but knowing that she was we would have a priest come and bless her. And so all of that was our initial kind of introduction into being a family. And it started with a crisis. But I always like to say that a crisis is a turning point, because I think that when we go through a, it, a human experience, and when we 
when we experience the loss of a baby or anybody that we love, I think that that is part of being a human. That is part of the human experience. And as much as we grieve that and we suffer and have so much pain and loss, we also just experience so much love. And that, you know, I still remember and I will always remember that day and everything that happened about it, you know, in it and, and not just from sadness, but from, I also feel and remember the love and the, and the, honestly, the gratitude that I had for being so supported and loved throughout that time. And I also felt that there was a bigger purpose for our little girl and that she had a message for us. And so then we would go on my husband and I to then um, have another child. And we had so much fear around that. And as it, you know, seemed to be in the beginning stages that everything was fine after our son was born, we started going to those milestone appointments where you go to the pediatrician and we started to see that there were some delays. And so then we went through the process of having our son evaluated and found out that he was on the autism spectrum. And so again, as a family, when you are a mom expecting your baby and you're having your kids, you are, you know, really anticipating and imagining what your child will be like. And you imagine that they'll, their first day of kindergarten or, you know, what they might grow up to be and all those things. And when you have a child who's diagnosed with a significant disability, then that whole picture that you had is different than what you expected, right? And you have a ton, at least for me, I had a ton of guilt because here I was, I have this beautiful child and he has these diagnoses and these struggles. And I was feeling like I should not feel bad about that. You know, there's like, I should, I should just be automatically, you know, happy and supportive. And, and even though I was of course supportive in all those ways, I also did have that competing feeling of guilt and I had fear and just so many emotions that come up when you have a child who has a diagnosis, but what we learned through that also, and this tends to be a recurring theme for, for my husband and I, is that we just, we started to learn as we were going through these really big challenges. We just learned that it's more about just accepting and loving what you're presented with, what, even if it isn't the path that you thought you were going to be on, if you spend so much time thinking that it's not, you know, if you focus on the stress or you focus on the, the negative aspects of things, then that is kind of your experience. Well, it is your experience of it. Right. And so when we just had radical acceptance that, you know, here we have a child that has these developmental delays and we were like, we were just not going to accept everything. We were always taking, <laughs> going for second opinions or third opinions, or when they said he's going to struggle, he might not learn to read. And we just didn't believe any of it. And we just moved forward with having an expectation that he could do a lot more than 
what everyone was telling us. And when we believed that and we just worked with him, that is exactly what happened. And so he is an amazing success story and grown and graduated and is, you know, doing fine, but he was and is diagnosed with level two autism. So it, of course, that presented challenges throughout all those years, but that's the second example of what we went through. And then we went on to have three more kids. We have three girls and our middle daughter, um, from the very beginning, um, she had a lot of trouble with regulating emotion and self-soothing. And so we went down that path again, where we went through the diagnosis and the specialists and all of the things that go with that. And we found that she had multiple diagnoses and a lot of, for many families who go through this, whether it's for evaluating for ADHD or for a mood disorder or a behavior disorder, we'll often find co-occurring where there's multiple diagnoses. So just figuring out what really is the problem or what really is impacting can take literally years to go through all of that. So for her, her challenges were almost the opposite of our son's, but they were so significant that it required special programming in school, which I know you're probably familiar with as well. But we had, a, I had to do a lot of advocating um, to make sure that her needs were being met in the school. And there were many times where we had to actually change schools completely. And so you can imagine at this point, we had three kids and two of our three kids had significant needs and had absolutely totally opposite like strengths and areas of support that they needed. One with high behavior needs, the other with more in the academic areas. And then we had a fourth child <laughs> and we went through another crisis with, um, with our fourth baby. Um, she was not breathing very well when she was born. And so she was in ICU and they, they were telling us again, you know, you need to prepare yourself. She's not, she's not responding well. And um, so we went through that crisis and fear and all of the panic that goes through that, you know, that you go through in that kind of a situation. And the good news is that she is fine and she was thriving soon after that, that initial crisis. But as we went through as a family, we would then have our find ourselves in other what I would call a family crisis at times especially when you have kids who have special needs they will have fluctuations in their stability and and in their sometimes in their medication management and so we would have one or more of our kids who needed to be in inpatient care in the hospital and so just you know thinking about that time period where you have your kids are born and they're young and they're toddlers. And then you go through the school year age, and then you go into the teenage years and then into launching into adulthood. That's where the kids are now. But in all of that, throughout that whole time period, it just seemed like the theme for our family was that we were in crisis, kind of in constant crisis management or crisis mode, like we like to say as moms. And so my kind of mode of handling that was to just be the, the, in the sense that mama, 
you know, advocate. And it was just my life for that whole period was to kind of make sure that everyone's needs were met in the family and get the research and advocate at the school. And it was just a constant, you know, marathon of taking care of everybody. And what I learned from it is that I made a lot of mistakes throughout, throughout that time period. Um, and I did a lot of things right. And we did a lot of things right as a family as well. And so because we feel like now we're at a point as a family that we're intact in the sense that we have close relationships. And that is what I want to share with families because I think when I was going through all of those, those crises, I didn't feel like there was someone out there who I could talk about that with. There's so much stigma around family problems or mental health struggles or behavior issues or disabilities. You know, we have all those stigmas and judgment around that. And, and so you can feel really isolated as a mom, if you're a mom going through these kinds of things. And so that's what, that's my story. We, we made it through all of that. And then now I share ways that things that have helped strategies that have helped our family and things that work for us. And I share those on my podcast and with the moms I work with. So I hope that it's kind of a long story. <laughs> so I hope that, um, I hope that captured it for you. It did. What a fantastic story. I'm grateful that you're here. First of all, there's so much I want to comment on. Um, and I, I don't interrupt my guests for people who listen to me often. They know that like you get to talk and tell your story. Cause I, I hate to like stop people's train of thought. Um, so now I want to comment on what you said. First of all, so relatable to so many families. Um, I've always said like every kid has something that's going to challenge you. Like every single one. If you don't, you are one of the very, 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 very few lucky ones. Um, but other than that, most of the time, every kid's going to go through some phase of challenge where it's just going to test you as a parent. Sometimes those come right away. Sometimes they come later on when they're older, um, but it seems like they always come. So I feel like there's going to be a ton of people listening to this that hear your story and are going to be able to say, me too, um, which is exciting and why you're here. A lot of sadness that comes with trauma it with when it it pertains to parenting always seems to come down to our expectations as parents i am sure that um you're familiar with this too but you know the the minute we find out that we're parents we have all these expectations come into our brain of what things are going to look like what that's going to be how what kind of parents you're going to be what your kids going to do someday and then reality sets in we find out that our kids um, have their own uh, choices and brains and we can't control as much as we thought that we could have. And inevitably, a few of our expectations are always let down. And then we go through this um, period of, of sadness and, and even mourning where you have to kind of mourn that um, expectation that you had to let it go, to let it die so that you can really look at the situation that's in front of you and accept it and then move forward. And until you 
let go of those expectations that you had, it's really hard to keep moving forward. And so your story of how you had expectations and were able to overcome um, a lot of that to, to do what is best for your kid and do best for your family and, and get your child uh, to thrive is inspiring. So I'm, I'm just grateful that you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I will add that that grieving component really is, I think it's something we resist as moms, you know, to go through that. We don't want to accept that we have to grieve the, the picture that we had in our mind for, for the perfect family or the, the child that is going to, you know, go out and do these, all these great things. And when we are able to just really let ourselves grieve and it, it's painful. It is painful to do that. You had, it's almost like I just interviewed my daughter for one of my podcast episodes and she said it really well. She's like, I used to think that holding emotions in was strong, but then I learned that actually expressing your emotions and feeling them is when you're the strongest. And it's so true. And yet I think that when you definitely have a like resistance to grieving, that's telling you that you need to grieve. That's like your warning light, right? That you just, you need to like, let all of that pain be what it is and just be with it instead of resisting it. And then that does open you up so that you're able to be able to see what you have and accept it and, and find out that you really like in our experience, you know, we wouldn't, of course you hear this phrase all the time, but we just would never like do it differently. You know what I mean? Like it, we, if we could go back and change things, you know, people say, well, you wouldn't want your kids to suffer the, the extra challenges that they've had. But even our kids say that they wouldn't trade what has happened, you know, that they are at a place where they feel like it happened the way it was supposed to happen. And they have the skills and the strengths that they're supposed to have. And it's so interesting too. I know you probably know this as, as a educator, but when you have a part of your brain that doesn't work very well, you have, I think God creates us this way that you have a part of your brain that works exceptionally well. And so if you have ADHD, you have hyper attentive, you know, abilities in, in ways that other people who don't have ADHD don't have. And the same is for bipolar disorder or autism. There's, um, there's so many fascinating things about that. And that's another thing I think that really helped our family is that we were able to focus on those strengths and, and just have, like you said, that acceptance, just the whole child acceptance of, of, you know, each, each person in our family is unique and we accept them as they are and celebrate that. Yeah. And your daughter said it beautifully. I don't know why we resist to feel those emotions. I guess I do know why, because it's going to hurt and we don't want to go through the pain. Um, but if you can sit in it, feel it, then that's truly the only way you're going to be able to let it go. And, and you know, the, the closest path, right? You got to go through yes. something instead of around it. And we try so hard to avoid the hard of everything, the difficult, we don't want the difficult. So we try to avoid it by going around and really, we just need to go through it, feel it, accept it and do all those things that you said. Um, 
It's awesome. So I have a couple of questions for you now about your story. Sure. And um, the first one is, can you tell us about your family story and what it, it's taught you about post-traumatic growth specifically? Yes. I think that, you know, I was thinking, what are the biggest lessons if I had to like narrow it down? And I feel like the, probably one of the biggest lessons that, that we learned from going through that, going through this as a family is that when you can have, when you focus on connection as a family and you are able to like always have unconditional love for each other, that you can love, I, we like to use the phrase, like, just, we're going to love each other through this, you know, like no matter what it is. And as our kids got older, sometimes there will be experiences that they had where the, the kids would even say, not again, like, are, you know, are we going through something again as a family? And we would have that phrase, you know, we're, you know, we're going to love, we're going to love through it. Like all of us will you know, have that kind of resiliency. And I think that because love is such, it's the most powerful emotion that we can have. I think that when you feel like as a family that you can rely on each other, another family member within that unit, and that that safety is there, because like going back to what we were talking about with the trauma, if we have those traumatic experiences really early where our, we go into fight, flight, or freeze, and we have that trigger in our brain that safety is a problem or you know we have to protect, then we need to have the opposite of that. We need to have something that counteracts that. And that's, that's what love does. Love and connection can counteract that. So even if the brain experiences trauma, at a young age, at any point in our lives, it wants to repair itself. And so that's what's so beautiful about it is that you can go through something horrendous and horrible and awful and painful, but the brain wants to heal. And so connection and love is what will do it. And that's what we focused on as a family. And that's, I think the number one thing that we learned that we basically can go through anything, like bring it because we are going to be resilient as a family because we focus on love and connection and acceptance. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely about unconditional love. That's a beautiful message. I hope that people who are listening can go and find that support or ask for it. And I know that asking for support is difficult for a lot of people, but it's important to find our tribe, our community, um, yes. in the times that are good. So that way, when the times that are less good, they're there. And instead of finding that in the time of crisis, it's so much more difficult. Um, yeah, it's just, it, you don't want to wait to find that, that group that, you know, is, is going to support you. Um, and hopefully you have it already around you with your family, but unfortunately that's not the case for everybody. So if it's not, I hope that if you're listening to this, you'll go and seek that out. Um, even if you're in the middle of a crisis, it's okay. But if you're not, now is the time to actually seek it out even more. So in my opinion. Yes. Um, so tell me, what are the common mistakes that parents make 
when a family member is in this mental crisis? Yeah. What, what have you seen? Yeah. Yeah. We definitely, you know, as parents, I think we go into the protection mode and that alert system comes into play when, especially if you have a child, because that's our, that's our tendency as, as parents, right? Our, our, it's our job to protect. So, so it's natural that our brain goes into that mode. And when we're in that mode, we sometimes tend to over control. And so you kind of, you've probably experienced it yourself or seen other people where over controlling is like almost doing too much for a child that needs support. And that can lead to in older ages that can, well, even in younger, it can be kind of creating learned helplessness. So even though they have a struggle, we try to over control, over protect, overdo all of it. And that doesn't help them kind of work with the skills that they have. And that can be a really big problem. It can also lead to enabling if in the teenage years, substance use comes into play or anything else like that. And so that's probably the number one mistake. And it's, but I, I also wanna point out that that tendency to do that is, that's normal for parents to not notice that they're doing that because they really think that they are doing the best for their kids. They're thinking that they're helping and they're supporting. And, and the other thing I wanna share that I want to just point out is that as we're talking about this, this whole topic, Another big lesson to keep in mind and to remember is shaming ourselves and thinking that we're not good enough as parents is a really big, like that's just going to stop you in your tracks and put on another layer that's unnecessary. And you want to be able to show up as your best self. And if you are shaming yourself or thinking that you are not, you know, that, that you're somehow at fault and you're not doing enough and all of those things, then that drains so much of your energy and your emotional energy, particularly, and you need, you're going to need so much of it <laughs> to be able to show up as your best self. So, so I just want to point that out, that that's a really key thing to keep in mind and watch for not to shame yourself or anyone in your family for that matter. Um, because this is just, excuse me, this is just a, um, you know, this is a journey and a path for your family to be going through together. And the other big mistake that a lot of, a lot of parents make are they they tend to start to blame. They want to blame someone. And, and I say, they, I should say, we, we all didn't tend to do this just again, kind of naturally our brain, our brain wants to make sense of something that doesn't seem understandable you know, it seems like it's not, it wasn't supposed to be this way. So the brain is having that cognitive dissonance about this isn't what we thought was going to happen. So trying to figure that out, it's going to try to find a solution. So blame, this is where we start to blame, like, what did I eat when my, when I was expecting, or, or even when the kids are older, the parents might blame each other. And if one parent has a different style where they're, they're more, um, they're more direct in their communication and another parent is what we would call more, you know, permissive or has a different personality, then the parents might turn against each other and say, 
you know, you need to be more this way or that way. And, and so you can see those conflicts arise. Um, sometimes extended family members will also be blamed, you know, for, you know, well, this, you know, this particular thing happened when they were younger and, and it's because of that and they were influenced by this or that, you know, interaction. And so our brain just wants to try to find something to make sense of it all. And so we can give, when we recognize that, we can give ourselves a little bit of space to say, okay, we're, it makes sense that we're trying to find solutions, but we can put that energy into actually researching because there's really, really good information that's out there and support groups. And that's where we want to put our energy. So that's the second one. And there's another one that we make as parents, and that is trying to find a one size fits all solution instead of thinking of our kids as an individual. And, and this goes along with also with the research part that if you, if you hear something about kids who have autism need to have this particular thing and you wanna go straight to that solution and you don't really take the time to, to compare it to other things, get a second opinion and also align it to your own values. And so I think that's one of the, one of the things I like to cautious, caution parents on is just be willing to trust your own instinct and what feels right to you when you're making decisions about the treatment or the program or the, even if you're going down the route of medications or other types of treatments, there's so many, the, there's so much research out there and they've come so far in all of these areas that you can find a treatment plan or a provider that really matches your values. And that's really important because I think that that mistake of just trying to find something and then, and then, um, you know, applying that without vetting it for your own, you know, for what works for your family and for your child, because like they say all the time, if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism because they all have a unique profile in the way that that manifests for them. And that would be the same for kids with mood disorders or any other, any other thing. And I, I, I know you probably agree with me on this, but I just feel like we are all neuro, neurodiverse, right? I think that we all have different parts of our brain that are super strong and other areas that aren't as strong and that is, it's just a more useful way to think about brains and brain development, I think, than trying to categorize, like, you know, like we want to do. So many great uh, tidbits there. I mean, just full of great things. Uh, I want to go back to the control uh, that you started off with, um, parents feeling like they need to control and then they end up over controlling and they don't even realize it. Um, you know, it's coming from a place of you feel so out of control that you overcompensate by trying to control everything that you can. And if you're listening to this and that's resonating with you, I just want the audience to know that, like you said, it's normal and awareness that you're doing it is awesome. So hopefully you're listening and you have the awareness now, and now you can do something about that because you don't want to over control. 
And that goes into the next thing that you were talking about with uh, controlling so much that you're enabling your child and actually doing them a disservice. And a lot of times, and I see this over and over again, too, as a parenting coach, is the parents have such great intentions and their overprotection, it comes from their grand love for their child. It's because they want to protect them. They don't want to see their kids hurt. They want to do what's the best thing for them. And then what happens? We're trying to control so much that it ends up being a disservice. Um, but again, awareness that you're doing that is literally step one. And then you can move forward from there to improve it without awareness. You can't change anything. So I'm hoping exactly. that's what we're giving the audience today is maybe an opportunity to reevaluate what they're doing in times of crisis so that they can approach the next time of crisis or even where they're currently at and improve their situation. Um, and then you spoke about blame. Oh my goodness. Blame. We have to blame somebody because it's easier. You want to put blame on somebody and completely natural, <laughs> but it's, what's it going to do? Blame does nothing. It's not blaming anyone is not going to change the situation just because you cast a finger, whether it's at yourself or at somebody else, what's that going to do? So to focus on blame is really just a waste of energy. And when you're in time of crisis, as you mentioned, you are in a depleted state of energy as it is because of all the emotions that are exhausting in this time. So my advice to the audience, again, listening right now, if you find yourself blaming, let it go. That's a, a point of energy that you don't need to spend and instead work on that self-care that will give you the energy you need to be the best parent that you can be. And that self-care piece is so often forgotten because we, as especially as women, but men too, we're caregivers. And we want to take care of everybody else and we don't care, take care of ourselves. And you, you absolutely have to, in order to take care of other people, you have to take care of yourself. So I hope people are hearing your message and really learning because you have a great message to give, which I guess will bring me to my last question to you. And that is what is the most important things to remember when you're in a type of crisis that's going to help? Yes. Well, I think, first of all, I want to share that a crisis is really how we define it. When you are in a situation, a lot of us are thinking crisis can mean like I have to call 911 and there's a safety concern and, and oftentimes there is. But when you have a child in, with a mental health crisis, sometimes it isn't a call to 911, but your first priority is still safety. So whether it is physical safety, because Kids, without, kids who struggle to regulate themselves emotionally can have extreme behaviors. And so physical safety is number one, but we also can think about emotional safety. And so I always think that in any crisis, and I, I mentioned like if a child came home and they, were, and they were sharing that they were bullied, for example, that might also feel like a crisis. Even if the event happened at school and then they're home, as a family, then there's the, there's the response to that, right? And, the, and so creating emotional safety 
is also like the is the same priority i feel like physical safety and emotional safety are then the top two things that you want to think about in a crisis and then as a mom the the thing that i always tell every mom to remember and to practice is breathing because a lot of times we were literally hold our breath and we don't even realize that we're doing that also. So breathing is critical. It gives us, first of all, our brain needs some oxygen to even think clearly. And we all know that when you get shocking information, you go into that place where your brain cuts off, literally cuts off its ability to think clearly. And so it's really important that you breathe and breathing also sends messages to the rest of your body to know that you're safe. And so it's just a critical step. But then in terms of like, when you're processing a crisis in the sense, like, let's say that you're, you, you've gone through the initial part of creating safety and you might be even like in the ER and your child is being evaluated. And so in that sense, you're still in what we would call crisis mode. And what we tend to do in those times is we have to function at a level that is like, we call it like baseline functioning, right? It's just like you can barely sometimes even get a clear sentence out and you are just trying to maintain yourself. And so you need to be aware of taking care of yourself in those times too. And sometimes you will even find your body is shaking as moms when you have shocking information or anything that you know, you're going through. And that's just your body's way. You don't have to feel like you have to panic in that situation. It is your body's way of processing that kind of shock to your system. And so I think expecting that if you were to ever be in a situation like that, expecting that these things will happen is so much better to be prepared. So then you don't go into your own kind of personal crisis in the moment. And then in terms of that crisis mode mentality, I always like to share with moms that what we tend to do is keep our expectations for everything as, as close to what they normally are as possible. And we have to learn to drop those expectations way down and give ourselves the grace that our family is going through something really difficult right now. And so ordering pizza right now is fine. Not, you know, skipping laundry is totally okay. I mean, we can drop down so many expectations and that's really going to free up your ability to just manage because we don't realize how much emotional energy we're expending when we are going through something that's a shock to our system like that. So it's really important that we lower those expectations as well. And then you Before mentioned you already self-care. I just need to say, I, I love that suggestion. And so many parents don't do it. You have to give yourself grace. You do. definitely, And yes. you don't realize all that energy. Like you said, you don't realize it until it's either lifted. And then you're like, oh, wow, that was tough. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're telling you, you're spending a lot of energy. So give yourself grace. Let, let the pizza happen. Let the laundry pile up. It's totally fine. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then the final thing that I also just tell moms is you, you want to also like give yourself 
like when you think about a cycle of crisis, like you, you have like the initial crisis and you're, you're in the height of it. And then you come down from that. And if you lower your expectations, you're going to have a, like a softer landing for sure when you do that. But you also need to know that everybody in the family isn't going to follow that same cycle. So some people may like kind of be back to normal really quickly. Other people may need a much longer time as they come out of that cycle. And people may act differently as they come out of it too. Like they might, just like we act differently when we're, when we're first presented with it. There may be family members who react really strongly. There may be some who withdraw completely. You might see different types of behaviors in the family. And so being aware of that and kind of prepared for that also, and just letting people process the way that they process. Being individuals is okay. We don't all have to, you know, sometimes we have that expectation like, okay, the, you know, we went through this thing on Tuesday and we had a family meeting and we did whatever. And so like everybody get back to it, you know, and we have to give people time and recognize that everyone is not ready. They don't have the readiness yet to be back to those high expectations. So yeah, I think, as parents, um, we all, a lot of us expect our kids to act the way that we think they're going to act. And it doesn't work like that at all. Um, and to allow your, your kids to have that grace is a really important message. Um, also, you had mentioned um, giving your child emotional safety and being the parenting coach that I am. I just, if you're listening to that and you are trying to give your child emotional safety, um, I just wanted to say that what that looks like parents is, is mainly two full, two things, two main things that you could do to give your child emotional safety. One is listen, truly, truly listen to your child and give them a space to listen. So mistakes I see over and over and over again is parents talking too much and listening too little. And we also try to fix everything that our kids are trying that are going through and and so when we're listening we're listening to respond we're listening to fix their problems and really we just have to listen and I can't stress that enough it's really difficult for a lot of parents just to sit there and not take an action um it feels empty it feels open-ended or something um and those those feelings are valid but I'm telling you listen 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 and the second thing that you can do to create emotional safety for your child is um, be careful how you react to whatever it is that they're saying to give them the leniency to just, again, talk without you lecturing, without you overreacting, without you saying, what? <laughs> I mean, like, all of that is pivotal, pivotal on how your child uh, will feel safe in how they're talking to you because they're being very vulnerable. And so they need you to have that open space without the reaction so that they feel like you are the safe space. If you're going to be angry, you're gonna just push them away. If you're gonna look disappointed, you're just gonna push them away. Now you can feel all those things. Those are real feelings for the parent, but you don't wanna outwardly show your child that at least right away. You can show them maybe later after you've processed and you've talked and stuff and say, hey, I'm kind of disappointed in that decision you made. But in the moment when your child is being vulnerable, just listen and try not to react. Um, 
it's it's truly going to be creating that emotional safety that uh, Jody's talking about. So I wanted to give you, Jody, um, an opportunity just to wrap up um, what you've said because it's it's just fantastic. Yeah, I only just wanted to reiterate what you said about the the creating emotional safety and not in just listening and not fixing. I wanted to just add on to that, that emotional safety for kids at different ages also looks like validating that all feelings are okay. And so I think that we tend to, we've, a lot of us have been raised in families where we want them, we want the emotions to be positive and we want kids to feel like it's okay, like don't cry about this or whatever. And that I think doesn't create emotional safety because we want kids to know that all feelings are fine. And in this house, we feel all the feels and that's okay. And that, that creates emotional safety too. So that's probably the last kind of the key point that we had to learn through all of that as a family, but it really has made a difference for our family. So that would be the last thing I would want to add in. Thank you. If, um, if anybody's listening to this, wow, I mean, that was such rich in content. And guess what? That's not all. Jody has a freebie for us and the audience. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, when I first tried to think of what, you know, who is the mom who is maybe in the ER with their child being evaluated and what she's looking for in Googling. It's kind of like how to feel better or things that help in the middle of a crisis. And so it's a seven things that help right now. And it's just a PDF download, but it has like some of the things we talked about today and a couple of other things. And I think every mom that has downloaded it always says, I, I have that like on the fridge <laughs> to help me remember and, you know, breathe is one of them on there, but there's a couple of other things to just say, like, this is how to handle it. And sometimes I think we just need that as a mom, like somebody tell us what to do right now. Right. Well, thank you so much for that freebie and audience. If you'd like to get it, it'll be in the impactful parent app. So make sure that you download that. If people want to know more because they're resonating with you, how would they get out? How would they contact you? I can be found, my website is probably the easiest place to find me. And that's where you can have access to my podcast and to find out more about my coaching program and all of those things. And so that is at goodmomcoach.com. And I appreciate you being here, Jody. I really, uh, so much great knowledge, so much help to parents. Uh, thank you for everything that you do. And if you have an inspiring story and want to share your story with the audience so that others can learn from you, please go to theimpactfulparent.com slash work with me and sign up. And if you'd like to become a more impactful parent, check out all that my website has to offer. I have parenting courses, family coaching. Don't forget to get that free downloadable parenting app, which will have Jody's free resource in it. And then there's lots of other free resources. But until next time, you got this, parents. I'm just here to help. Thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And don't forget, the Impactful Parenting Podcast is an extension of the Impactful Parent community. Go to the Impactful Parent website and download the free Impactful Parent app so you don't miss a parenting tip that can help you and your family. Thanks for listening today. So go to theimpactfulparent.com and see you next episode.